Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee, and we have with us Trainer Road and Cannondale's Amber Pierce. Good morning, everybody. We have Orange Seal Specialized Alex Wild. Heyo. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, what we're going to do is start off with a 45-minute deep dive into train now. So just, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Last time we went a little long, we understand. Got some feedback. <laughs> Got some some people are interested. Can't make everyone happy. You made people just turn it off right there. They I just... know exactly. <laughs> Train now is pretty popular though, so maybe that one they do want to hear. But yeah, uh, yeah. Here it is. Just open up and use it. There you go. That's all you yeah. need. When we talk about adaptive training like that, I think that some people that haven't gotten into it yet but have signed up for the closed beta, it's almost like we're talking about they're like they're starving and we're t- just like describing in detail this delicious meal and they can't have it. So. Um, but it's coming. We've how, had how much it. fun you had going out last night when they didn't come. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it was thing. the most yeah, amazing yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> I just <laughs> love how exactly its numbers are. It's not like <laughs> there's a thousand people on it now. It's like there's 942. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just added another big batch yesterday. We're oh. adding another batch today as well, which is exciting. Um, we're accelerating that and it's really cool. So, uh, but I don't want oh, to, we have, uh, oh. we have 1,123 now. <laughs> yep. And Alex's I think that's actually point. going, <laughs> yeah. Another and I think it's, he's not watching stocks. Yeah. He just has a little ticker <laughs> yeah. with his <laughs> beta. It's a, live on beta. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. It's a company priority. It is. So it is it's a little not, I mean, obsession. It's not dissimilar from you, Alex, watching your live power instead of three seconds smooth power at mm-hmm. all times. So mm-hmm. you of all people to give Nate <laughs> guff about specific numbers. Um, I at okay, least let so, it round it to not a decimal. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go straight into questions this week from Calvin. He says, I'm so thankful for Trainer Road and prior to using it this, pa- this past off season, I was getting spit out the back of four or five races. After diligently following your mid-volume crit plan this off-season and watching tons of your incredible race analysis videos, those are on YouTube, by the way. There's a whole playlist of them you can watch right through. By the I've way, already won a way to like, you can up your watts per, like listen to what Amber and Pete say. I think in a flat crit, you can up it like, I mean, it's more like racing poorly. You like lose a watt per kilo racing poorly. Do you think that's oh, yeah. true, Amber? Yeah, easily. Yep. Easily, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, take whatever your weight is in kilograms and subtract that from your FTP. That's what racing is like if you don't do the things that Amber and Pete say. For the record, we have no science to back up these numbers, but to do a study, I think you've all felt it, though, right? You just oh, you're yeah. in a race and you race poorly and you try to cover everything and uh, do all the things that are wrong, and it is horrible, horrible. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah. John. No, no. It's a, this, these are the sort of interjections we need. Uh, it's it. I really do think that if you watch the race analysis videos, you will improve your results. Like I, it'd be really hard not to, if you watched it and somehow did the total opposite, I guess. Sure. But <laughs> otherwise watch it. There's so many insights on all the different videos and, and Calvin see yourself says, on the other end of tactics. <laughs> you guys just posted a short track video of Keegan showing how to pass the field. And I'm just like, that guy looks familiar. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> How to pass Alex Wild. <laughs> Calvin said that because of this, he's already won a 3-4 race and upgraded to Cat 3 after the first three races of his season. So way to go. That's awesome. Uh, he says, I've made these gains riding five to six days a week for a total of 10 to 12 hours with a mix of trainer road and group rides. That's like a really good way of doing things. It's following a low volume plan and still giving yourself the chance to be able to go out every week execute in like a group ride scenario because then you get all that experience and it it gives you kind of like all the, 
uh, I'm, I'm missing the term here, but basically it gives all the life that you need to be able to express your fitness when you're on the bike. Mm-hmm. It's not like purely mechanical. You need to build that intuition and everything else to be able to know when to do things smoothly and just do them intuitively. It, it does. It's a great way to do it. Yeah. In a group with wheels. And also it's almost like, uh, especially if like you have Friday off and Saturday's the group ride, it feels fun. Like you got a little race, like, so your Tuesday, Thursday rides, you're like building up and then Friday's off and Saturday, you do a little group ride and you feel, uh, like it's like a dessert, right. For the week. For sure. It goes back to that Watts per kilo thing. I remember when I first started working at specialized, the Friday world's ride, like I had the fitness, I would get dropped off that ride every time. And it's just cause like, I didn't know how to ride in a pace line. I didn't know where to sit. I didn't know like when to move over. I didn't realize like at the back of the pace line, you start kind of drifting over as soon as you start seeing the body go by you. I waited for them to go fully by. And then I was like sprinting up to the back of the train and just like, <laughs> ouch. and I've seen it with so many people, like new employees who just haven't ridden a group ride regularly. It's like, you can be as strong as you want, but there's a lot of tactics and smarts to it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Amazingly good, <laughs> like yeah. six watts per kilo, right? What, what yeah. hope do any of us have? Or what's your watt, watt per kg? Uh, around six, Dude, you, I think. Yeah, yeah. about six. <laughs> <laughs> no big Five point eight six two three. Where's the, where's the numerical precision now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> depends it's all how, gone. <laughs> depends how many pancakes I had that morning. Good point. Yeah, it's a fair point. It's like he measures point. the glycogen. Yeah, that's what yeah. that dude was thinking. He's like, let me just sit, take this sip of water. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he says that that's how he's gotten to this point, but this summer I'm planning to take a roughly month long road trip with my girlfriend and hopefully hit a couple races at the end. I'll have my bike with me and my girlfriend is understanding that I'll need to get some riding in on the road, but realistically, I probably will only be able to fit in two to three rides a week for maybe four hours. That still sounds like a lot of riding to me, but Hey, that's awesome. Um, we'll be at elevation for significant parts of the trip and we'll stay generally active with long hikes and walks but cutting back my volume substantially still makes me fearful of losing fitness. So do I stand any chance of maintaining race shape through this? Any tips to make it happen? Uh, if I can do two quick recommendations of really good resources for this, uh, for you, Calvin, to be able to, uh, take in a ton of information. Number one, it's episode 293 of the ask a cycling coach podcast. Chad went into energy system decay, or in other words, like how we lose fitness over time which, uh, by the way, that's something that we are, uh, that it's really cool because we're working on that in adaptive training. And it's cool to see that over time, see things decay when you don't pay attention to them and you neglect those energy systems. Uh, so, but with that said, 293, great breakdown. We also have that in a shorter video that you can check out called D training. Can you lose fitness? I'll put that in the link below or in the description below for everybody listening to the podcast as well. And Sean wrote a fantastic article called D-Training, What Happens When You Lose Fitness. So literally, Calvin, like uh, exactly what you're talking about. So in this article, when you check it out here, there's actually a table even that makes it super helpful. And I actually just got it wrong on this, but the table makes it super clear for you because it's going to say within there what you can expect roughly for aerobic endurance, muscular endurance, and also anaerobic or like the sprint power, anaerobic side of things. And um, Alex, you had a good way of describing kind of how things... uh, how things come and how things go in terms of fitness with different energy systems. Yeah. uh, I always think of it as the longest to gain and the longest to lose and the quickest to gain and the quickest to lose. So it's kind of like, if you think about a build, you start with the aerobic, the threshold, the sweet spot, the endurance base. And then as you're getting closer to races, you have more VO2 and sprint sprinkled in because you can bring that up at the last second. And that's honestly, Calvin, how I would 
approach this is you know your aerobics there and with these hikes and stuff it's not the same as cycling but it's still working that system there has been in that same um episode with chad he talked about how just keeping somewhat active during two weeks off actually helps you because you're not losing it completely i would try to spread those what was it four hours as much as you can into five days even if it's five 45 minute um sessions in the morning and just get after like the key workouts like two of those like try to do like a vo2 or a sprint like even just warm up 30 30s cool down something like that and then maybe a couple endurance rides and then take out those um recovery rides and those days off and and take those completely off the bike and then kind of pair those ish with a hike it's not going to be ideal but it's spreading that is better than like one four-hour ride and then one four-hour ride kind of thing so trying to be consistent on the bike and also making it 45 minutes maybe make it easier to fit into whatever schedule you and your girlfriend have for this trip you know wake up get a 45 minute session in and be done for the day definitely not a morning person but there's something so rewarding about (laughs) having it done and it's like 7 a.m and you're like everybody's sleeping so true I, I've, i'm not a morning person either but it always feels so good to have it done so early in the day it just feels yeah it's a nice box to check i agree with everything alex is saying you basically can make this into like a little taper if you think about it and i think one of the key parts of what alex is saying is to bring the volume of your rides down a little bit because you are going to be having this other fatiguing load with the hikes which will be in some senses rejuvenating because it'll be new and different and engaging but it's still going to be a little bit taxing on your body Um, so balancing that with some shorter sessions on the bike to Alex's point, and then making those a little bit more polishing your top end, I think you could turn this into a really nice taper as well as being a really nice mental break. So you show up to the race is mentally fresh and rejuvenated, and you've got that sharpening of the top end ready to go. And you're not too fatigued. I think it could actually work out really nicely. Just make sure you're starting those hikes in the first week. If the hikes are anything like Jen brings me on, you will be sore. So make sure you adapt to that by week three and four. That's a totally different aspect to this. If you are going to be adding in unfamiliar activities, they're going to take a toll, particularly if it sounds like you might be doing a road trip at staying in certain spots because you mentioned that you'll be at elevation for a significant period of time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the case. If you are really just like, in the car a lot. Oh, if you're hiking and you haven't been hiking and then you're sitting in the car and then you're hiking and you're sitting in the car, you are going to experience doms like no other. Uh, it's going to be pretty rough. So that's, that's definitely a good tip, Alex, to not Pack stack that. Roller. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Something. But something the elevation there. piece will actually help you as well. Mm-hmm. There is a fatigue to that. And even professional athletes, when they're up at elevation for the first week, will tack it down you know they're not going to go up there and just be like sweet vo2 let's go like yeah so there is an aspect to that and also if your race is at sea level as you come back down like if you say plenty of time if you're up at elevation for three of those four weeks that's plenty of time to acclimatize and and have a benefit from that as well so enjoy it be a normal human being (laughs) i am going through this right now but at a more uh severe or yeah, I guess <laughs> rate of not training with my divorce. So I was, I'm looking at my thing in January, I was hitting pretty hard. And then, uh, since then I have not hit it hard at all. So much the fact that my six week daily average of TSS right now is six, <laughs> which is not because <laughs> the week is 45. So I'm a little bit harder than you, but I want to give you some anecdotal experience of what I <clears throat> 
have done and going from like, you know, in the, the high, maybe like 80 down to like six, uh, which is not very good. So I agree. Everyone says I would do a, I would actually use train now for this and I would do a, um, like the climbing. So I really like doing like an over under threshold and then a VO two max have those two be your two intense days. And then the, the third day be whatever you kind of feel like either an aerobic day or sweet spot, depending on how tired you are. If you're less tired and you have not that much time, I would do sweet spot. But if you are more tired, do the same amount of time and do aerobic. And if you have a lot of time and you're not tired, uh, which doesn't sound like you do, you could do a long aerobic ride that right there though, will probably keep you pretty close for ramp test results, or maybe even raise it a bit because you've been doing so much volume and you upped it, um, in those kind of crit length workouts, which is super awesome. In my experience, what has happened and I've been doing workouts this whole time as I've been going down, it's the long stuff. So if you're in a three, I wouldn't do a three hour race. Like that would be a, if I was in a three hour race, um, like a 50 mile road race or something for talking about strategy, I would be sitting in that group that whole time and do no work. I would not try to get in any breakaway and hopefully it's a sprint in the end because I feel like with that reduction in volume, especially over time, when you come back to racing, it's that long, uh, it's like, kind of like the durability over time that really like starts to go. Although your one minute power might still be just as awesome or even more. Um, you might be able to do a, like a, a short breakaway and a quit like a 15 minutes at the end and do a really good job on that. So that's how I would do it. And you might even, mm, depends on how you'd go, but this could be a fun time too, where that third workout is a sprint workout. So if, uh, especially you're going to come back for crit, so you're going to be really super fresh because you're not doing that much volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have two, like a two month block of real high intensity, 15 second, 10 second, 30 second, uh, uh, neuromuscular stuff and come back and, you know, get in the, do a couple moves. There's someone uh, locally named Josh Rennie who he is really good at that. And if you combine that with race tactic tactics and back me up on this, you just do like, it's like you do a couple things to get into the right groups and you time it right. And everything else, you don't really put out that many Watts cause you're always in a draft, but you race like you're like this amazing cat one racer who has all this fitness to go. Cause you just, you, you time it, you anticipate it and you make that jump and maybe you put out, you know, 1300 Watts or something. If you're a large man, uh, a few times you're in the right spot and then you just got to be there for the end. Is that mm-hmm. right? Amber? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can make very little fitness go very, very far on tactics alone. Um, and it doesn't sound like you're going to be going to this with very, very little fitness. So adjusting the tactics a little bit and then making sure that you're adjusting your prep going into it. I think it'll, it'll land you in a good spot. Um, two, when I did just a, a little bit of riding, like two hours per week over like eight weeks, um, you know, going from a lot of riding to a little riding, kind of similar to what you're doing. I think I lost like six, eight Watts on my FTP or something. And I was doing less than you're going to do. And I was having weeks off in between. So that's, you know, it's going to be all, it's very individualistic on that, but that's just a a point for you. You're not going to go down so far. Mm -hmm. Can uh, getting into the tactic side of things, I I have a way of thinking of this that helps me stick to it. So when I'm really fit, I act like I just won the lottery in terms of like energy expenditure. (laughs) I'm just like spending money like crazy. I've got like one of those dollar bill machines, right? And I'm just like (laughs) doing stupid moves all over the place and because true. I, I just, I just, won, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I just won the lottery, so to speak, or in other words, I have a ton of fitness. I feel like, 
And in almost every case, it ends up biting me. And I didn't indeed win the lottery. And then I have a negative balance right mm -hmm. uh, thereafter. But the weight that I think of this, when I'm really focusing on a result is I'm budget constrained. Like I race, like I'm on a budget and I think, you know what? My goal isn't to end with $0 in this bank account, so to speak. My, my goal is to end with as much in there as possible and win. And Pete is fantastic at doing that sort of thing too, when he needs to, he's also He's also been known to race uh, like he's just won the lottery as well. Um, but just the same, it helps me a lot because then I get into every situation and my thought instantly goes to the racer aggressive mindset goes, ooh, do this really aggressive move or try to change the race or influence the race with your own fitness. But the budget side of me says, no, there's no point in doing that. Sit here, wait, see what happens ride efficiently, constantly find that pocket of least resistance, always be the person that is less eager. Let the other people become more eager. The risks you'll take are different. The risks that you end up doing, they're, they're pretty painful to endure. Sometimes it's, oh gosh, that move is getting away. And I wonder who's going to get it, but it will not be you. You will not be the one that ends up bringing that group back. And if you take that approach, it works. Nate actually had a great example of this last year in a race analysis video that we did, or geez, two years ago. <laughs> Yikes. It's been a year, hasn't it? Um, uh, but that was, uh, is this the story uh, of land park? No, this is at okay. Auburn. I think in the P one, two, or maybe two, three or a race that we did, but I'm up there and I'm, we're like, you know, I'm constantly toward the front policing things, chasing things down, racing like I won the lottery. And I thought in my mind, Nate and Nate said, I'm just going to surf the back and I'm just going to wait until the very end. And then at that point, I'm going to come forward. And I remember thinking like 10 times through the race, poor Nate stuck at the back. He's probably like 17 groups back and there's splits and we might even end up lapping Nate. That's sad. He missed the moves. He didn't miss the moves. He was patient and the field is always less patient. You just have to wait and then they'll always make those moves. And it happens. It comes back together and Nate was in good position. That happened multiple times. Like you said, the, you brought up Lamb Park. There's a lot of them. <laughs> I'm the every one, time I race road bikes. I'm <laughs> the one that uh, drops dude. So no, the, everybody uh, needs to go to Nate's Instagram and TikTok and see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, TR. It's not Nate. on TikTok. It's just on Instagram. TR.Nate. Okay. Uh, do some more of those maybe tomorrow. But so this is, somebody said that they want us to pick on each other more. So I'm going to pick on John now. He's on the forum. He is my employee, but this is what happens when John is the fittest person for the race in the race. He has the least, he usually has the least outcome. Like there's some races locally. I like, I know John is the fittest person and he has the worst results. But what John does is he goes, I'm going to make this hurt for everybody. And he's like, I'm going to make the race so hard. And this happened at land park. My first cat three race and he's like, I'm going to do that. And he attacked so much. You can see in the video, he was out the front and we looked at our power files. And I think my, I was just sitting in the group, my normalized power, yours was like almost 300 for the first 20 minutes. Yeah, was and mine was or something. Yeah. And mine was like 200 because I was in the draft <laughs> the whole time. And I let the group, uh, accordion back and forth and that sort of stuff. I was just surfing. So although John thought everyone was like hurting, like he was. Mm -hmm. He just make himself tired. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I guarantee that that race, John, if you would have raced like me, because you were much, you're like a watt kilo higher than me, you would have, and you sprint more than me, you would have won hands down. No problem. Sure. Like, uh, I, but I also too, another thing that to, to John, what John does too, is because of mountain biking, he has specific goals in races and he will, mm -hmm. you know, he'll be like, this is a fitness race. I don't care about the outcome. I'm trying to do these sort of things. And then he set me up at the end. And it's more of like how John can hurt himself rather than other people. But 
That's but there are times, yeah, to your point, yes, but there are other times when I've absolutely raced that way and thought that I'm hurting the field and I'm not hurting the field. I might be, it, it can be a good way, you right, work. Amber? That's my to, point. Yeah. yeah, like in some situations when it's not a fitness race, you're not going for some, you know, alternative objective like that. But in some cases, Amber, with those sort of aggressive tactics, if you have like a couple people you really need to worry about in that race and you know that they can't deal with those surges and those attacks that would hurt them. That's when that sort of tactic could be helpful, but it sounds like it's always a risky one. If you look at it from the outside in, right? Yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that sort of racing? I, I like that sort of racing, but it's always context dependent, right? So it's, it's reading the situation. And like you said, maybe there's an opportunity there to really put the hurt on somebody who struggles a lot with surge and recover versus steady state stuff. And if you've already seen this, the fields getting softened up by some earlier attacks and they look like they're pretty blown, that's the time when you really want to hurt them with those surges. But I think the, the bigger picture, what we're talking about here is learning how to race within different constraints. And I think that that's a really key thing. And so a lot of people struggle with going to races unfit mentally or without a lot of physical fitness, they struggle with that mentally because there's this thought of like, oh, I'm just starting on the back foot. But that's often the best possible learning scenario because as as we're pointing out, if you decide or you decide either by decision or by necessity <laughs> that you're not going to be racing the front <laughs> of the race and you're going to be really following wheels, actually going through that and seeing how much less work you have to do by being patient is a huge aha moment that you don't necessarily get. If you're always constantly worried about losing position, you're always constantly worried about, I have to be on the front or I have to be near the front or I have to be in every move. If you allow yourself to be patient and you, you think of it as I'm going to try something new today, I'm going to try racing my bike in a new way and impose some of those constraints on yourself. Like, okay, I'm not going to go in the first three breaks that go. I'm not going to go with at least the first five attacks after five attacks go, then maybe I'll start following wheels. And if then I'm only going to follow wheels, I'm not going to be the first one bridging across those kinds of constraints that you impose on yourself can lead to a lot of these aha moments where you're like, Whoa, I'm at 150 Watts and I'm going 30 miles an hour in the group. And I'm, I feel like I'm soft pedaling. I barely have to put pressure on the pedals and you can see somebody like Jonathan up near the front, really putting the hammer down in the wind or really gassing themselves and you feel amazing. And those kinds of realizations can be really, really helpful to you in the future. When you encounter different race scenarios, it just becomes a part of your race intuition repertoire that you can pull from in new and different situations. So I, you know, I, I love hearing about people going into race situations where they have these constraints, where there isn't a lot of fitness there because it forces you to make different decisions and to approach the race tactically in a different way, which teaches you a whole new way of racing successfully, uh, which you can employ whether or not you're fit. I think there's the best racers, in my opinion, find ways to achieve success in a way that's not dependent fully upon their fitness. Yep. So like flipping it the other way around, all of us have had this when you're just so fit, there was almost no way you could lose that race. And that's why you won. I know when I first started racing, I had more of those sort of scenarios where I'd be really fit. And of course I was just going to win and that's why, but the best racers find ways to be successful regardless, not entirely, but regardless of making sure their fitness is an absolute peak form. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at a, like a, a race like Greg Van Avermet, he's a great example of this, or even Mariana Voss is probably a better example of this because she races cyclocross 
and road and she'll do it the whole year round. And that's really hard to be able to like, you, you can't maintain peak form, right? So her fitness, I'm sure if you graft it, you know, it's fluctuating throughout the year, mm -hmm. but she finds ways to succeed across the board throughout the whole year. And that's something that's really impressive. So like to you, to your point, Amber, it's about knowing yourself well enough and being able to anticipate what a group will do and really understanding your own limits and respecting those. Right. And it doesn't mean that your limits have to be uh, a, a something that blocks you back to fifth place or, or lower. You can do better. They um, can actually open doors for you because instead of having this mindset that everything has to be optimized for you to be for on race day, like you want to, you want to sign up only for the races that really suit you. You only want to be racing when your fitness feels like, and it's a good place. You only want to race when there's certain people either in the field or not in the field, you know, throw that all out, out the window and reframe it and, and think of it more like the less optimal the situation is for you, the more learning opportunity there is for you in terms of, of becoming a, a tactically more savvy racer. Growth mindset. Yeah. It makes it better when you have fitness too. Like, I think it puts you in those situations where not pulling through is a necessity. Yes. And it, and it teaches you, whoa, I don't have to, if this is a stupid move, like just because mm -hmm. he looks at me or she looks at me and is like, pull through it. Just like, nah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it teaches you, like you can do that with fitness. Like, I feel like you have like a, like on yourself, right? Like, and I'm sure all of us have experienced this when you come into it with a lot of fitness, you're like, well, I should probably pull through because I can. Right. So it's like when you can't, or you think like your race is going to be over, if you do, it teaches you that you don't have to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you've and had, it still goes, right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. It's like, oh, wow. The race still moves forward. Okay. Yeah. And, and when you've had those previous experiences, those aha moments where you've been patient and you haven't missed the move and you've been able to conserve energy, then when you end up in the same situation and you're really, really fit, you will feel more confident about being patient because you've seen how it can work to your advantage previously. And you'll have confidence in that patience, which patience is one of the hardest things to do, especially when you're fit. But th that's a, that, that will, to Alex's point, that will help strengthen that mindset for you. Mm -hmm. uh, another tip too that. So John's way of like hurting the field, it's, it's field dependent. If there are eight people in a local race, John's strategy, oh, it is so tough because the, you have to either accelerate with those um, with those attacks or the race is over. And it is, that is an extremely good method, I think, to s soften the field. But if it's a 70 person race and what you do, if, if there's a accordion, so it, it stretches out and it goes really thin and then it slows down, everyone groups up the, you want to be able to try to float up when it slows down and get ahead. And then when it accelerates, you don't, people can pass you when it accelerates, especially the first, you know, it's an hour long crit, the first 30 minutes, and it keeps doing this thing, especially if it's a like a um, something to do with like how the corners go and stuff. You can totally float back. So everyone is like trying to fight for those real wheels, and then it slows down, and you pass everyone again. And they had such an acceleration to do that, and you didn't have any, right? Yeah. You smoothed out that power. And there's many race uh, analysis videos that we have that where this happens. Even at uh, P12, like this stuff happens. Although there's some courses we've mentioned this last week. It is strung out the whole time and you start in the back and you are in trouble. And, uh, but the, it's again, as you get, I think that's only, I've never seen that in a, even a two, a two, three, four or five race. These are when there's like big established teams. They have people they're working the whole time. This is a whole huge strategy thing. And if you're at that level, you probably know 
already that that's going to happen and you know that you're gonna have to be lined up and all that sort of stuff oh and it's different if you're a marked rider too like if there's a marked rider at the back like and a team sees that it's like then you're in trouble kind of thing but it's like if you're unknown like i think people when they fill that gap it's like sweet you're gonna you're gonna break the wind for me and make it so i don't have to sprint after you easy just don't Three. i floated back and i looked back and i'm like oh i'm the last one <laughs> and there's no one behind me. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is far. like yeah, yeah exactly that's bad don't do that yep uh calvin i'm gonna recap the the main takeaways for you on this one so number one yes you will lose fitness over this time period but it probably won't be as severe as you fear Also, if you focus on quality, like Alex is saying, instead of quantity, but really making sure that the hours that you do put in are very focused on quality. Nate mentioned some great examples of doing over-unders, doing sprints, that sort of work, VO2 stuff. If you do really high quality, higher intensity work with that constrained timeframe, you actually might be able to show up at a race partnered with sound and, and judicious racecraft and get a better result than you anticipate. So... Uh, have fun on the road trip and hopefully you get faster through all of this stuff. You're certainly going to become a more wise racer, I would say, uh, as a result of it. For so. sure. <clears throat> Next one's from Cameron. And he says, <laughs> I thought about sending this into the podcast. He actually sent this to me personally. This is Cameron, actually, Summerson, who was on the Successful Athletes podcast. Uh, we've mentioned this before, but his son needed a kidney transplant and the donor list was too long. And uh, his son's condition was worsening and he had to he couldn't be a donor because he wasn't in shape enough. Uh, so he used trainer road to get in shape, to be able to donate his kidney to his son and keep his son alive. And it's just the coolest story. Um, you should absolutely listen to that successful athletes podcast episode. It's super, super inspiring, but he says, uh, I don't want to get any faster. Let me explain. He says, weird request, right? Here's the thing. I don't race. I won't race, but I'm stronger than I've ever been. Thanks to trainer road. And I love it but there are downsides to getting faster. For example, I've been all but totally ostracized from my local cycling group because I'm too fast for them. Apparently I push the pace too hard. There's a difference between being too fast and pushing the pace too hard because Amber could show up like when she was a pro on a group ride with a bunch of us average folk. And she would have like rode smartly and kindly with all of us. Cause she probably could have just like laid down hammers and destroyed us all. So well, what year um, of Amber? Yeah. So there's a difference there and we'll get into that. Um, but he says, uh, when I'm in these group rides, I feel like I'm not even doing any work. We're talking tempo. He says, I've gotten to the point where I ride my gravel bike with gravel tires on road rides with this crew and it helps. They're good folks. Just not totally obsessive about bike performance. Like I am that said, I don't want to lose what I have. This is a small town and there aren't a lot of cyclists. There are a pair of dudes who like to go out and crush on the road bike. And sometimes I catch up with them. He says, I can hang with these cats and have a blast, but I don't really end up going out with them that, that often. Um, when they do, uh, when he is invited out there, he says, I want to be able to do my share of the work. So his question, if I keep my FTP around where it is now, Pete, he mentions that he peaked at 228 earlier this year, had a minor surgery about a month ago and it dropped back to 217. He mentions he's about 221 right now. If he just leaves that FTP there indefinitely, will I just hang on to what I have without getting noticeably faster or stronger? At most, I wouldn't be able to hold higher percentages of my current, or wouldn't I be able to hold higher percentages of my current FTP for longer periods of time, which I could easily turn on or off when I need. So he's mentioning that he doesn't want to just push himself out of the scene entirely, but he's kind of facing this dilemma. So my vote would be don't get any slower (laughs) and staying where you are is okay. 
But at the same time, I think that there's a difference between having the fitness and expressing the fitness. And they're two very different things and different contexts can necessitate one approach or the other. I would those those are my initial thoughts. Being able to ride a they, downhill bike with your friends. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> at that point, I think it's a rude flex. <laughs> like showing up on a downhill bike to ride with the road crew. Maybe put yeah. drop bars on it. They, they won't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Alex, you do this, right? You ride a mountain bike with your people on road bikes, right? Yeah. Um, my regular training partners, I normally do. And it, I, again, much, much like Cameron, it's not an ego thing. It's just like, we want to do the same workouts and ride together. So I, I just changed my bike setup. And for me, it's a benefit because I like to do a lot of my rides on the mountain bike anyway, cause that's what I race. I love the gravel tire idea and there are more aggressive and larger gravel tires that will suck more and more Watts <laughs> minion, minion DHF <laughs> just a, <laughs> sound like tank treads with enduro tires going down the road. Yeah. No, that's a great idea though. It makes you so I would, don't, don't clean your chain ever <laughs> uh, <laughs> get your disc brake rubbing. No. <laughs> no ice friction for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sponsor drop. Right. <laughs> I feel like we need one of those like radio, like, like for every time yeah, someone yeah. plugs <laughs> something, you know? Yeah, like yeah, every yeah. time Jonathan's like, oh, check it out on our Instagram. I think that th there's another side of things too. Every ride will have a goal for me. Sometimes the goal is to get in a really hard workout. And if that's the case, then maybe you slap on those gravel tires, right? But if your goal is to just get, uh, cause there are plenty of group rides where, or people that I want to ride with, and I just want the social experience of riding with that person. Like I want to spend time with them. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to them and even better if we can do it on bikes. Cause we both might like bikes. Right. So there are different things that I get from group rides. That's a weird and in your case, it, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, sometimes I lay down some low wattage to ride with my friends. <laughs> Hardly. Uh, he's mentioning Derek Teal. He's very, very, very fast. Uh, check it out on Instagram. But, um, he, in this case, I think that is, is there another draw for you? You mentioned that you like these people and you have fun riding with them. Just ride with them and be a, be an equal participant in the group. Don't, don't be there. And even though they may know that you're faster and you may know that you're faster, that doesn't mean that you're the one that has to carry some sort of, you don't have to be the captain of the group. You're just a part of the yeah, group. That's a great point. You could, you can change where that kind of fits into your training, right? Like he was mentioning tempo is like where he was at, but it's like, if you change that in for like an endurance ride, or even if like, you know, you're super strong, like a recovery ride, you know, just change where that sits. Like for a lot of people, the group ride is, you know, they're throwing hammers the whole time. So it's, <laughs> it's like an intensity day, but you kind of change the mindset and change it in for like an endurance day or a recovery day. Even if you want to go ride with those people, like it, it just changes based on that fitness, right? Like, I don't think the answer is not getting faster. I think if you enjoy the prog the progression of fitness and training, you can just change where that group ride with your friends slots into it. And being the slow person on group rides before, uh, the hills are where you have to be the nicest to people in generally. If you are on the a flat, it's kind of fun when someone goes to the front, you don't accelerate, but you maybe you stay camera at threshold or a little bit above and you sit up a little more. Rather than being total a small draft, sit up. That's another great thing. It'll give them a bigger draft and have you work harder. Go really fast, right? That's fun to go fast in a pace line with everybody. Um, and then don't accelerate, don't attack. And then on those climbs, just don't give them a push either. 
and, and don't talk, don't half wheel and talk to them. There's someone on this podcast that does that to me on their days keeping the watts down. I don't know. Who you're and talking it's about. very hard because <laughs> um, they're they're a little smaller than me. But yeah, it's, that's 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 tough. What do you think, Amber? I think I. I want to say two things as somebody who has gotten a lot slower as of late, it's actually pretty okay. So I just want to say like, if it's okay to have different goals here and, and sometimes like allowing, allowing a little bit of the, the wattage to come down, just, you know, the FTP to come down, like it's okay. And, and so, um, all goals are welcome here. And then the other thing I think this is just a different way of framing the question. I like to think of training as a balance in terms of stewarding your energy, right? So Mm. if you're doing structured training with trainer road, probably your goal is to get faster. And so you're doing a lot of these structured workouts in order to bump up your FTP to gain fitness and to get faster on the bike. But in order to do that, you have to be a steward of your energy stores. So that's as much, you know, hitting your workouts, but also making sure that you're recovering well. But the other piece of that is making sure that you're enjoying what you're doing and that you're not burning out on it. And so you're maintaining a sense of engagement and fun and thrill and joy in what you're doing. And I know when I was really into heavy training for a long time, these kinds of group rides were the thing that really saved me. Honestly, it kept me fresh and engaged and motivated and So the goal with doing rides like this with other folks wasn't to get in a workout or to hit a certain TSS or a certain wattage. It was genuinely just to connect with people and to inject a little extra joy and motivation into my training plan. And so if you look at these rides from the bigger picture of maybe this is a component of what I need as a person to feel balanced and to feel energized enough to be sustainable over the long term. And I think that that's a good way of thinking about it. And then when you do that, what you do on the ride, the role that you fill becomes really different. So as an example, when I used to train a lot and I was really fit, which I'm not very, not not as much right now, but when I was really fit, one of my favorite things to do on a group ride was not to go to the front, not to be taking pulls, not to be dragging people around. I kind of let everybody do what they wanted to do at the front, but I would stay at the back and I would look for people that were struggling at the back and I'd drop back for them and I'd bridge them up. And I'd drop back for him and I'd bridge him up. And it was so much fun because it helped other people really enjoy the, the helped other people enjoy the ride a lot more, but I got a lot of work in, you know, and not necessarily like with, you know, without the frustration of having to do intervals, I felt like I was contributing and connecting in a really fun way. And you're making people's day. And it's just a, yeah. a totally different way of riding in the group. Yeah, totally. Reminds I hope these me. are just like, uh, Justin Williams used to come every once in a while to do the specialized lunch ride. Like he'd come into town for fit or sponsorship obligations or, and I had brought my hardtail out on the Friday world's ride and we got to a flat section, 36, 10 just wasn't cutting it. And he actually <laughs> like looked back and saw that I was falling off the back and he pulled back and brought me back to the group. <laughs> it's awesome. Good man. <laughs> yeah. Nate, I hope all the something. people. Yeah. I hope when Amber dropped back, I hope they were just like egotistical men who would like, you know, would not want a woman to do it. But male, fra- like, fragile male ego. Hey, I'm really good, right? Like, no problem. You want to ride? And just blew some minds and it's changed like, perspective. Yeah, that, that whole saying of getting chicked, just repeatedly getting chicked to the egos that are most fragile to it, you know? Like, Amber's so big, she just drops back. I said I could be like, on some forum last week. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Uh, so, so yeah, Cam, don't worry about it. Um, I would say that, uh, find where that group ride slots into your, your greater mix of what yeah. you need and, and enjoy that. Don't think that you need to get slower. Uh, you don't have to ride wide open at all times. Mm. And I would say get faster. So then when you ride with those other two guys, you can, uh, you can stick with them too. So. Yeah, I have one other comment for Cameron on the amount of fitness. So you could, Cameron, if you want to, you could try to like extend your FTP out, like uh, mesh with the level system, go to one hour, you can make custom workouts and go longer. That is possible. You go 70, maybe even 80 minutes at threshold. Um, I mean, it's all, it's going to be how you express it to John's point in, in it, because even with that, you're still going to you're going to be able to do some pretty wicked efforts against your friends. So there's no, even if you work that really long sweet spot or really long aerobic stuff, it's still going to be beneficial in your fitness and it's not going to make you fit without not being able to drop them. So it's going to be more important of how you do it inside of there. Um, so you can go either way. And it's the, the fun thing too, is if you do get faster, um, and as Alex said, these rides are a little bit easier for you. I mean, you burn more calories on your other rides and stuff, just being fitter in general, you get the health benefit of, uh, of, um, you know, your heart and cardiovascular benefits and all this sort of thing. So it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, your body composition changes even more, but you can still be with friends that are slower. It's, yeah. You don't have to drop them. Yep. Yeah. Yes, you do. I had deja vu. Did we do this exact same thing like a month ago or two months ago? Yeah. Exact same conversation. Oh, we, this is oh, why I don't have like, friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Alex, Alex can't really, he, this is Alex's life at all times. He doesn't really ride with people that are, it's impossible to ride with people that are faster than him on a regular basis. doesn't happen. Oh, John, we have to mention there is that wheel thing because people will message us. We know there's that wheel. Uh, thing that can give you extra so there's something you put on your bike and will add resistance so that you mm. can ride with somebody else we're aware of that product also last time i said if you have a question message john on instagram <laughs> that was a joke people <laughs> some people okay so, my inbox was so, a flame it was uh, out of very, control very funny joke um really you message him if you want to get an adaptive training early but you have to ask him three times just oh kidding. my gosh no. <laughs> just kidding just kidding um don't do that we so again john and i we don't control who's in adaptive training it is yeah. uh somebody else i'm not going to tell you who it is but it's also they do not all me okay Okay, it's, not yeah, exactly. it's not Alex. But to hide that if lever you, with Alex would be clever. Yeah, yeah. If you want the best support, um, don't message John. Don't message uh, any of us on Instagram. I mean, it's serious. Uh, we totally. There are things that happen and issues where engineering hasn't done with support. I used to know all this stuff like eight years ago. I don't know it all. Um, support at trainer.com email, and also we have a chat function. Uh, on the website and you can answer you have the same people they'll answer you right then and uh yeah so do that is the best way if you have a question or anything about it please do that and we have awesome customer support staff too this yeah. isn't like uh, amazing something that we treat as a low priority it's a very 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 high priority for our company we train them well they're awesome people uh, that contribute a ton to our company so they're a pleasure to talk to as well <laughs> you <laughs> so. might even make some friends <laughs> indeed yeah <laughs> 
Uh, in fact, some of them even are, are, are really uh, uh, fit and crazy fast cyclists themselves. We're like our support agents. We have support agents that are faster than all of us on the podcast by far. Like it's pretty crazy. So um, anyways, with all that said, let's jump into some rapid fire questions really quick from Blair. He says, are you swimming yet for your triathlon challenge? <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> Al- wait, what? Alex is swimming? <laughs> no, Alex isn't swimming. He can't. No, swimming no, no, no. I don't know. Amber, how. are you, I, I was wondering about this. So you, you did swimming your whole life and now, um, bike seats partnered with cycling, partnered with pregnancy, partnered with all that stuff. It gets difficult over time. Are you <laughs> anticipating like swimming at all throughout pregnancy? Is that like a thing that you're like, Hey, I'll go back and swim since I'm basically a pro at swimming. It, <laughs> definitely no longer <laughs> a pro at swimming, but actually now that you mention it literally in the last two or three weeks, I've had this urge to get in the pool again, which I'm telling you guys, I burned out really, really hard on swimming for a long time to the point where the smell of chlorine, even if it was chlorine bleach or something in a completely different scenario would give me heart palpitations sometimes. Like it was a serious Pavlovian response. So I haven't had the inclination to swim in a really, really long time. And actually just over the last month, I was thinking it would be really nice to get in a pool right now. And maybe that's just because I want to get away from gravity. That might have something to do with it. Float for a while. (laughs) But it actually sounds really appealing to me right now. And so now I'm, I'm more concerned with just making sure that I have a a safe place to go do that. Um, but Mm. yeah, that, that, that is something that I'm actually pretty excited about because as you mentioned, it's, uh, it is getting increasingly difficult to ride. It's not impossible. And it's still, I actually feel more comfortable and natural on a bike right do right now than I do just like walking around the house, which is funny. Um, but probably the hip angle. Yeah. Interestingly, it's amazing. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Like, hitting the belly with the top of the thigh. That's for sure. (laughs) But but other than that, like I feel, I just, I feel good on the bike. I feel like it's where I'm meant to be. So, um, I still feel that way, which is nice, but that may change. Uh, still have a few months to go. So yeah, I think a swim might feel really good and it would be kind of fun to get just some of the baseline mechanics back. Um, so that, yeah, she's, after she's going to destroy us so bad, <laughs> <laughs> like this dry challenge, like that we're talking about energy system decay right and how quickly things come back. <laughs> like Amber is like on like hyper progression with that. She's going to get back into the pool and like touch the water and she'll be at Phelps level. Watch. Yeah, My muscles be... have all shrunk down, but they're like pure mitochondria now. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they're it's just like, waiting. <laughs> it's like dehydrated fruit. <laughs> okay. So the next two questions from Octavo and Becca, we're going to lump them both in because they're both about, uh, cross country mountain biking and the world cup level that has happened over the last two weeks and it's back and it feels really cool to watch that racing. So Octavo says what an opening world cup, uh, who are your biggest surprises? Why could nobody hold with Luana Lacomte? What made M- or Matthew Vanderpool blow up so early? How did Pidcock go from a hundredth to the podium? Which for those that don't know, Pidcock had great results as a U23. Uh, very good results. But then when you go to elite, uh, and then considering that they didn't have any racing, he didn't do those. He had, he basically had to reset from scratch. So that's why he had a starting position that was way far back. Yeah. And they, they froze the points with COVID. So what they did is they used the March, 2020 rankings, which I think Pidcock didn't have a ranking at that point. And then they added in the world cups that they did in Nova Mesto. 
Um, and I think since he races a U23, they're also reduced amount of points. So I think he had zero starting March 2020. And then he won both rounds of the U23 World Cup and then World Championships, which would give him 300 or so, which equates to about 100th. Just just with how they froze the points, he had no opportunity to gain more this year. Yeah, crazy. Uh, but Becca says, and then we'll just answer all this. Uh, she says, hey, podcast team, especially Amber, which she says, <laughs> says I'm finishing hey, up my Becca. senior year in high school and I'm a varsity Nika athlete. I love World Cup racing, but feel like my normal role models and heroes are surprisingly off pace to, or to Loana LeCompte after watching the first World Cups this year. What do you think she's doing differently and why has she been so dominant? So uh, I, uh, quick explainer for those that didn't watch this Luana Lacombe, she's a young athlete last year she won a world cup and she it was her first time racing elite world cups and they only had two rounds last year with that modified schedule and this year she's won both of them and i think i know the last one by over a minute i think a minute and a half over second place and then this last i think the first one somewhere around a minute but i could be wrong with uh, albstadt and she has the most poker face i've ever seen of any cyclist is so amazing. Awesome. She looks, she's like out for like a easy Saturday ride is what it looks like every time. And she's just walking away from like Pauline Fran Prevo, Kate Courtney, Yolanda Neff, like all these like insane athletes. So she is something to behold. It's incredible how dominant she is. Um, I watched the races in full detail, of course. Um, and have like a lot of thoughts on that stuff, but Amber, do you want to start on Luana LeCompton? kind of like those sort of performances in general. Yeah. So, uh, not the resident mountain bike expert here by any stretch, but I will just say in my experience, um, and I'm old now, so that's a lot of experience. These kinds of breakout performances usually come down to excellent prepara preparation and execution and a little bit of luck in the mix. Right. So oftentimes, like sometimes the stars just align in a really good way. And a lot of that's within your control and some of it's just not. So when we see breakout performances like this, it's really tempting to look for the secret sauce or the silver bullet or the one thing that they're doing differently. Like they've discovered something that nobody else knows about and they're nailing it. And we just don't know what Beat it is juice. yet. And it's one easy trick. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's, it's just, it's never that glamorous. It really, it almost never comes down to just one different differentiator. It really comes down to doing a lot of things really, really well and executing on all of those things really, really well. So it's, um, it's not the, it's not the most exciting answer that you may have been looking for, but yeah. Are you trying to tell me it's hard work, grit, <laughs> consistency, focusing on recovery, nutrition, and managing stress. So like <laughs> for overtime. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. A little yeah, bit of luck, exactly. some skills, some some mental resilience. Yeah. I mean it's it's and royal bee jelly. <laughs> Two grams of that every day. <laughs> Alex, do you notice anything unique about her? I do notice a few things that I want to add in that certainly don't cancel out what you just said, Amber and Nate. Like all of that is there. Um, mm -hmm. They mentioned even on the broadcast, they were like, she watched Julie Bersay win, or no, not win. Did she win the Olympic gold? I can't remember. Or get a podium. I think she won Olympic gold. But she watched her win it and she is a small girl and she was like crying because she was thought it was such a cool achievement. And she was like, Aww. I'm going to be a mountain biker. So like she from that age and also the French development team is known for being incredibly good and helping these French athletes. So she has known, and she seems like a very focused person who's built toward it. But so all that stuff. Yes. But Alex, do you notice anything unique about her? Um, I, I was going to touch on the French are really good at developing athletes across the board within cycling. 
Um, it's so that's that's a huge part of it. I also think not only is she, you know, an incredible climber, an incredible descender, a full package. I think there was a bit of that luck. Like when you look at like a minute and a half winning margin at Nova Mesto on its own, you're like, wow, she just blew everybody away. But I think you have to take it with like Kate crashed and broke a lever and, you know, Pauline Fran crashed in short track and wasn't, and, you know, Yolanda Neff isn't on her top form um, currently. And not to take anything away from her, she might have still won. And I, you know, I probably put money on that she would. But I think there's just a lot more than just like her walking away from the competition that goes into that. And I know, um, like Rizvet's pulled out because of period cramps at that race. So there's there's a lot going on that you don't see on the results sheet. Um, but taking nothing away from the fact that she's an incredible athlete and she's yeah. really really good at riding a bike. Yeah, I mean, you still have to execute even if things are going wrong for your competitors because things can go wrong for you too. So absolutely, um, it's still yeah. got to line up. But yeah, I some things that I noticed about her that's uh, that are very that are unique. Number one, she's extremely efficient in how she rides the bike. So uh, you'll see that with a lot of athletes, mountain bikers in particular, there's a lot of body movement when they pedal. They display their strain through that movement and that loss of efficiency that they have. However, she is just stone faced, but then she's also <laughs> extremely centered on the bike. And when you watch her, when she descends and this is, I don't know, uh, you know, if it's the French development team and they have incredible downhill athletes all the way through as well. So I don't know if there's crossover, she's always in the right spot. Um, she's not the sort of athlete that looks out of control. And the reason is because that her body positioning, she's just in the right place. Um, she's very, very good at that. Uh, that course was, was very tricky and slippery. And if you have technique that is sloppy conditions that are slippery or, or, or sketchy will always magnify any problem that you could come across, right? Because your body's in the right spot and therefore weight will shift. Tires will slide and bad stuff will happen, but she's always in the right spot. So efficiency and doing that. And then of course, partner with everything else. But the other interesting thing to me as well is to see how good Tom Pidcock is. And I know that I knew that he was good. We've watched cyclocross. We've seen that he's good, but for him to be able to just decide to drop Matthew Vanderpool and then also to come heads up in a sprint and almost beat him basically in a sprint or get, or sorry, get close to him in a sprint and really just like mechanicals hold him back. That's really big. Like Matthew Vanderpool is a huge rider with a huge amount of power. Tom Pickock is a small rider with a small amount of power, relatively speaking to him, yet he still is able to hold with him. I think that's super cool. And it's just, it is a bit weird to just see like, you know, Scherter getting seventh. And I don't, I don't even know if it was necessarily a bad day. It's just, it's kind of like a changing of the guard, uh, but it's, it's super interesting. And if anybody's into racing, you should watch it because it's a really good trainer fodder. How do, too. How do we, how do Americans watch these, John? Red Bull TV, they broadcast them and they're really easy to find on demand too. So if you just go to redbull.tv, then you can look at events and then in their events, they'll have all the different world cups that they've had. So you can watch short track and cross country Olympic for the different, uh, different groups. But you can only watch them. They only have them on for so long. So you have to kind of be up to date on it. They're great to watch. I, I love watching them with the sound off. You get music on. Mm -hmm. You're doing your hard workout. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm such and such. And you think yeah. you're <laughs> Alex Wilde as you're riding. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for sure. Can we also just say uh, kudos to Haley Batten? And this is partial mm -hmm. us being Americans here, but <clears throat> kudos to Haley Batten. So exciting to see a young American athlete just like rise to the occasion and repeatedly deliver. 
on yeah. this. And then also Chris Blevins for getting, uh, he was riding top 10 for a long time and getting top 20s in World Cups. And this is his first stab at elite racing. Like, wow. Like, it's really exciting. And then Riley Amos almost winning U23. So Americans are coming in mountain biking. It's exciting stuff. So uh, Robert asks, can you quickly explain the, the reasoning behind why I should follow power instead of heart rate and explain what RPE is and how to use that? I'm new to all this and heard you mention this on a previous podcast. At this point, I'm just using Strava. Nate, can you explain that stuff uh, in a rapid yes. fire manner? Sorry. Got something in my throat? Not rapid. <laughs> power is the exact... It is a measurement of how much power you're putting into the pedals as you're going. And this is like, mm, imagine it, not the speed. I, I'm going to use a car analogy, but it doesn't really work. So I won't. RP, <laughs> maybe it like RP is like the heart rate. Or sorry, I'm <laughs> killing this. <laughs> Let's start crushing over. Crushing it, Nate. Crushing it. <laughs> power is exactly, I own a cycling training software company. I, I've, I've explained this a few times. Um, okay, so power is like the instantaneous of like what you're actually doing. With heart rate, it's always lagging. So it takes time for it to come up and takes time for it to come down. But heart rate also isn't very uh, sensitive. So if you change your, your wattage or your amount of output by a significant amount, your heart rate might only change by two, three beats per minute. And it's really hard to get fine grain, fine grain control in there. On top of that, heart rate is impacted by the time of day, hydration, sleep, fatigue, uh, menstrual cycle, uh, when your motivation is, um, Caffeine. the music you're listening to, how relaxed you are with your shoulders, all these things will change that stuff. So you get this number that doesn't actually equate to what you're actually doing and could do all this stuff. If it, it would be so nice for us if we could do the, if it would be just as good to use heart rate instead of power instead of trainer road, because then no one would have to buy a power meter. Yeah. Just be like, Amazing. Hey, just buy a $20 heart rate monitor and you're good to go. If we thought that was better, we would totally do that because we don't even sell power meters. We wouldn't make any, we'd, we would have a bigger company. We would impact more people. Uh, so that is why it's better. And especially you'll see this if you do some of these like on off kind of workouts, uh, if you use power, it's you, if you use power, you get it after, I don't know, a session or two RPE, that is the rate of preserved effort. And what that is, is how do you feel? And classically there's this thing called the Borg scale, which is ridiculous. And it goes from like <laughs> eight to 20. Why eight to like 23. Uh, it's like, <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. What is it? It's, uh, I forgot the exact number, but I'm pulling it up right now. It is seven to 20. And I don't know why Borg thought that would be a good scale for humans, but, um, <laughs> like, Usually they say one to 10. So 10 all out. One is like, you're just lying in bed. And what RPE is good for is understanding how you're feeling in the moment. Cause that is always important. But what happens is if you look at power, what you're actually doing and how you're feeling at the beginning of a workout, usually your RPE is low and the Watts might be, let's say you're at 200 Watts and your RPE is low. And then as you go through that workout, the Watts will stay the same and your RPE goes up. And if you hold any wattage for long enough, uh, your RP is going to go to 10. Uh, there's, there's no question. Sometimes it just might take 10 hours mm -hmm. and that is in a race situation. It's very important. Um, if you're in a time trial, you might look at, uh, you know, your RP is going to be lower, especially for those first two minutes. 
you look down, how many times you guys, you look down on your power, I mean, you're like, it must be broken because no yeah. way is 450 Watts this easy or I'm yeah. having a magical day. Yeah. And you think that it's good. And then two minutes in, you're like, oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really, really bad idea. Um, I think any questions Did I do it. Okay. I thought it was great. I wouldn't add anything. It's fantastic. Tell me more, John. <laughs> okay. Just it was just wonderful. Uh, I like listening to it. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> oh man. Okay. Let's go into Kevin's question. He says, I had a question regarding TT position flexibility. Like most athletes, I have a reduced FTP in my time trial position, as well as I find it more fatiguing to stay in a focused arrow position for a long interval. You and everyone else, Kevin, <clears throat> mm-hmm. TT positions are hard. Um, so he says, uh, I know the podcast mentioned uh, mentioned the benefits of core and strength training, but are there any stretches or flexibility exercises that can be used to help reduce the power drop and fatigue from being in the TT position for a long period of time? I recall Nate mentioning coach Lee's pre-dynamic ride stretches or pre-ride dynamic stretches that work like magic. Is there anything else you've found that could help? Uh, thanks and five stars all around. I want to say the, your, your drop in FTP and the uncomfortableness might have absolutely nothing to do with flexibility that those aren't always related. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know with mine, they're not related at all. So just don't think that, Oh, if I just have more core work and I can touch my toes, my power in in uh, the teaching position is going to go up. It's most likely a hip angle issue. And then the fatigue is usually, um, you might be too low. Uh, the angle of your neck could be too high. You could be do, uh, exercises to help. It could be where your, uh, your elbows are t- like the, the width of them, the length, a uh, whole bunch of stuff, how you hold it, shrugging, um, all these sorts of things will not, are not flexibility issues. Mm-hmm. Kelly, we did a great podcast with Kelly, uh, Kelly Sturette from, uh, mobility wad, which actually now is called the ready state. So if you look up Kelly, he's like one of the foremost, uh, honestly, like the thought leader on mobility, really, he he's fantastic and has great content that you can find as well on Instagram and his book, becoming a supple leopard and Deskbound, and just a great resource and great guy. And also cyclist. So I would re- recommend checking out the episode that we did with him. I can't think of the name right now, but we recorded it actually at Strava HQ and it's a special episode. If you look up his name with ask a cycling coach, you'll find it. And I'll link down below in the description on this uh, episode, because he talks about the difference between flexibility and mobility. They're two different things. So like like Nate said, you could be like what, what a Cirque du Soleil sort of, uh, uh, an athlete, I guess you are performer, I guess you'd call them, but you could bend in half twice. Right. And if, but that doesn't mean that you'd be great in a TT position. Uh, the difference between flexibility and mobility, mobility is talking about effectiveness across a range of motion within your, within your joints or anything else. <clears throat> Whereas flexibility is just your ability to like what that range of motion is. So it's almost like here's the range of motion, but can you actually use your body effectively and your strength over the course of that whole range of motion? That's what mobility is concerned with. So, and that's really what, when you're, what you're trying to get used to and why we talk about getting used to the TT position and spending time training there, working yourself into it and making sure that you don't have any sort of like big impingement where it's like, I actually can't bend my hip to that degree. And as a result, I just can't operate in this TT position. So working with a combo of bike fitters and then also on mobility can, you know, really help with that for sure. Sorry, Nate. Here's the problem is that when you bend over, there's always going to be, there's an optimal spot between aerodynamics and power for each Mm -hmm. person at that given point in time. And then as you work into a position, usually your power goes up 
like you get used to it and you get better at putting power at that position. That doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that is your optimal position, like how far down you are. And we've seen this in the pro ranks where I love seeing this, where you, there are some pros that are amazing time trialists and they have so much stack, right? Mm -hmm. Where you as a, I remember I used to triathlons, everyone used to brag like, oh, how much, how low stack do I have? How low can I go? All this sort of stuff. And then these people who actually use science to it, they, Hey, I'm faster. If I'm up a little more, I'm more comfortable and I can actually have the right balance between aerodynamics and power. I'm feeling personally Heart- attacked over here. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> you. Uh, uh, you, John could be faster, a little bit higher. I think you actually were faster, a little bit higher. I think I am. I'll be on slim numb. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just because you get so much, your power gets reduced so much, although you do have world-class CDA. But hey, I do look cool. So that's, <laughs> you do, it's not nothing. I think you're like, when you, when you open our app, you see John, uh, it's, it's very, uh, yeah. Uh, the problem is, unless you have a wind tunnel, it's very hard. You can use some, uh, there's like the Robert Chung method. There's some, if you Google it, there's some ways out there. There's now products coming out that you can put on your bike. Um, I'm, I don't know the accuracy of any of these, but very interested in that to be able to see what is the right ratio. And that's, that's the thing. And the most common problem with amateurs, I think is they go down too far, too fast. And, uh, they are making themselves slower. Like you spend, you spent $8,000 on these bike with wheels and stuff. And then you just kill your speed by slamming yourself too low. Mm-hmm. I, I think a very gradual reduction where you keep watching it, you maybe do it for three, four months. You see some time trial, like you can tell, did I get faster or not in these races that I did? And then you go down a little bit more and you give it some time rather than the, I'm going to take all the spacers out. Totally done that maybe like <laughs> nine or 10 times. Uh, like, this is the time. Cause you want to say you, if I reduce my CDA by this much, I would now be John in a time trial. And I, I, I do it today. Right. It, take, it takes me like three hours cause time trial bikes are very annoying, but uh, you could, you could do it. Alex, you want to say something? Uh, yeah, I was going to say three things. We'll start off with, I'm no TT expert and I've never ridden a TT bike, but as far should, as by the way, it seems like his like, right. Like small rider, kilo. super high yeah. power, very analytical, all about the numbers yep. data. Like it yep. also really Pace good at steady state perfectly. efforts and pacing. Alex, it's, what are you, what's your problem? It's a matter of time. <laughs> if only I was born in England. <laughs> Alex, can't you like borrow a time trial bike and try one of those things at a local like NorCal TT? Yeah. It'd be fun to do for sure. Um, what? Well, do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you know a guy or something called specialized. I'm sure you can make, find a bike. Uh, I'm sure you can find a skin suit, helmet. Specialized makes all that stuff. Do Just that? six watts per kilo. Hey, you know what? There's actually a wind tunnel there if you didn't know about it. <laughs> oh you could probably get in. It's and, a wind uh, tunnel. That's what I said, wind yeah. tunnel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Alex, Alex, six watts per kilo time trialist. How tall are you, Alex? Six foot. And, and, and are you and not very wide, right? He's narrow as a rail. Yes. He has shoulders, Alex. but narrow as a rail. Six feet is like, I think that's a very, uh, like you're in the sweet spot oh, for yeah. power to arrow, especially if you don't have super wide shoulders. Uh, Alex, dude. Oh, about this. You should try it. Alex is going to like National smoke Champ. everyone on his, yeah. <laughs> Here it and comes. not even realize. Yep. Okay, sorry. Okay, well, finish your... your go, going, go, going back to the fact that I've never ridden a TT bike, so take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> but again, we do have a wind tunnel, and I have chatted with people, 
And going back to Nate's point, lower isn't always better on a power scale, but it's also not always better on a CDA scale. Like you have to understand, I'll, I'll do it for people who are watching this on YouTube, but like if your TT position is here and then you lower it, it doesn't automatically mean you're going to be here. You could do this. Mm-hmm. So your body's still in the same place, but you're now strained at your shoulders. So if you I'm think gonna, about it, narrate what he just did, he showed that going lower with his arms doesn't mean that his torso lowers. It could mm-hmm. just mean that his arms lower and that his yeah. torso stays in the same spot. And that doesn't mean that you're more aerodynamic just because your arms are lower. Absolutely. And, and what I'm getting at is like on a road bike, if you're in the drops, it's actually less aero than if you get a 90 degree angle and hold your hoods. And mm-hmm. the reason is because your arms are straight when you're in your drops and those are more aerodynamic drag than if you were in the same position with your hoods and then you're in line. So the air is going across your forearm parallel to the ground reverse instead of perpendicular to the ground. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. And then two tricks I have for hip angle are take advantage that you can now tilt the front of your saddle down more. So mm-hmm. you can open up that hip angle. And I also run 170 cranks. This is to protect my back for my L5-S1 herniation, but it also creates less hip flexion because your knee comes up less. So mm-hmm. not, you know, the gold standard, but two things to consider if if hip angle is a limiter for you. And I've found with me, it's like, it's it's kind of an on-off switch. Like once it's too impinged, it's just like mm-hmm. cutting the cord. So finding a right hip angle, I think is huge. I don't know how angling your seat down would uh improve your hip angle it can change that it allows your, your pelvis yeah it allows your pelvis to tilt forward and become more mm-hmm. open mm-hmm. but aren't you still but aren't you well you can just do it on any saddle so i guess it would be less perennial pain for them i guess men and women is that a woman thing too i don't even oh, know yeah. yeah oh yeah. yeah um uh with that saddle that way yes for sure but actually where your knees are in the in the no no, no it doesn't, yeah, it it doesn't change be, where yeah. your knees are it just tilts your Pelvis forward. It helps you tilt your pelvis. Yeah. Yeah. Be more comfortable. For sure. Yep. Uh, Amber, what points did you have uh, to share on this? Because uh, you, <laughs> we've all shared our thoughts. <laughs> yeah, you're the one that's raced professional time trials in the world tour. So, I'm just sitting here nodding because everything you guys are saying is spot on. Um, I, I think, yeah, mobility. I think a lot of people conflate flexibility, mobility. That's the first thing. So probably mobility is the thing that you're after. And again, mobility is not always the thing that's going to solve a drop in FTP based on a position. Um, and the other thing is that the drop in FTP doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing because it could be if your position is, has, has been fitted well, that the aerodynamic benefit you get outweighs the drop in the FTP. And then the other thing to keep in mind is when you're talking about, and I I think that I'm going to guess here and read between the lines that, um, our question poser is looking for a really good performance. And if you're looking for a good performance outcome, you're really better off looking at execution on the day. And there are so many other factors that will come into play that would probably be more meaningful than that little difference in FTP. Granted, you want to stack the deck in your favor, but it's something where if you're really happy with your position, you don't want to change your position work on getting strong in that position and then really just focus on executing well in the race on the day. Um, and it's, it's funny because when you analyze a race and you look back in retrospect, it's really easy to see how the numbers helped or hindered you. But when you're actually executing on the day, 
the feeling of the experience is a lot more about racing the course than it is reading and analyzing the numbers. So save the analysis for afterwards and, and, you know, really gear up, you know, put yourself in a good position to perform well, which is getting your fitness and your fit dialed. But then remember that on the day, the experience of executing well has a lot more to do with reading the course. Um, and, and that, yeah, just getting out there and attacking it and pacing well, I mean, that's not necessarily going to be tied to numbers on the day. For sure. Uh, I have a experience share. So I have trouble getting my bars high enough, like my pads, uh, because I'm, I'm a tall guy, if you haven't heard, and my saddle's so high that the how drop tall? between that and my pad, how tall? I'm 5'8", 5'18", yeah, 5'18". Um, <laughs> that joke never gets old. Uh, the, the drop is so much that like I'm forced to have a certain amount of drop unless I do something custom. And in our local TT course, I wrote it, my, my power drops like 40 watts, easy. Uh, I think it's even more than that. But when I did it again, where I was so frustrated, I just did it on my road bike within the drops and I was faster on my road bike than my TT bike, <laughs> and, uh, which is super annoying. And that's because I, my power was so, uh, compromised. I dropped my, yeah, compromised because of that drop. I'm such, I've had, a. I made like a, I talked to Envy and I got like custom stuff to go up higher and I haven't ridden it yet because of COVID, but, um, that is, that's super f- annoying and frustrating when you have a very expensive time trial bike and you're faster on your road bike because of the, you have too much drop. And I still have it. I mean, I still had like all the spacers that were possibly available. So that's another thing. If you're very tall, there might be a, you might have to go up even higher than you realize in order to be fast. What so sure. TT bike do you have? I have a Cervelo P5. And what kind of road bike do you have? Avenge. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I see what he did there. <laughs> the, throw on it's Alex's little air horn for the sponsor plug for specialized on that one. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make a quick comment here. Cause I think there's the two other things that often get confused. One is you can be mechanically, um, constrained and that be, mm. from a position on a bike, which can contribute to diminished power output. Right. But there's also, the, the mechanical constraint also translates in some cases to just sheer discomfort and something really, even just like a minor level of continuous discomfort, even if it's not actually mechanically constraining you or mechanically causing a drop in FTP, that little tiny bit of distraction consistently over time will cause a drop in wattage big time. So I almost wonder if, you know, it's less about the mechanical constraint of the position difference between the road bike and the TT bike, but more about that distraction. And the other thing is like, if you're distracted by your concern of a drop in FTP or power output based on your position on the TT bike, that's another, that that's more cognitive load that's wasted because you're folk, you're not focusing on your execution and on the race. And you're focusing on this concern that, uh, what if my Watts are five Watts lower, 10 Watts lower. Um, but to be able to just completely focus on the execution is really, really important. So eliminating aspects of your fit or your mentality that are distracting you is probably, I mean, that can gain you a good five, 10 Watts right there. My goodness. That is so me. I cannot like, I, I don't <laughs> like noises coming from my bicycle. If my drivetrain's <laughs> making a noise, I can't PR. I swear. Like, it's like, like it's not possible. I, and if I just, yes, so much that, and if that's the thing that I think a lot of people misunderstand is they try to separate it entirely from performance, but 
your fitness has to go through layers of filters to the point where it's actually expressed out on mm -hmm. the road or trail. So those filters, the more you can open up or more filters you can remove, you're better off. <laughs> Nate's got a cheeky grin. <laughs> got a <laughs> strategy <laughs> thing. You, you make your bottom back bracket so creaky oh, yeah. and your chain bad. Then you show up next to John on climbs. <laughs> Right? So he just hears do it. it forever. I he like will throw a water he, bottle at you or something. I can't. He won't be able to. He either do something back tactically, like attack off the front. Yes, I or will. Or he will just just concentrate. It's like the uh, quote the Raven Nevermore, like the tapping. <laughs> will go insane. Nate, you're just we will get a new communications director. My Instagram yeah. DMs are blown up now. At races, people are going to throw me off. Oh, it's terrible. Just squeaks. Oh, I don't Lots like noises coming from the bike. <laughs> it needs to be a silent machine. Then it's working well. So I'm going to record it and like put it in your office somewhere. <laughs> so you hear it once in a while just for like, like eight seconds. Then it stops. You'd be like, I must say, that? I think I've Luckily gotten better with that since having a child you make a noise. because it's like, like life is just, just ignoring them. <laughs> <laughs> just tune stuff out. Don't call Sorry, CPS Simon. on me. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, like you just get used to life never being quiet, right? When you have a kid, like it's just not. Uh, so I think I've gotten better with that. But at the same time, if my bike's making noise, I'm like, I have to stop. I have to take the entire bike apart and fix whatever this is. I cannot sustain the noise anymore. So Luckily, that is your a bike pro doesn't parenting feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this Which guy is, keeps uh, huffing and puffing up there. I can't yes, <laughs> it's true. What, what were you going to say, Nate? That is a pro parent tip though, especially for anyone who's about to be a parent. Oh. There are certain times it's so hard when you're first with your first kid, but there are certain times where you should ignore, uh, uh -huh. your kid. And it seems weird. Um, but they, they need to self self soothe and do things themselves and stuff. And you know, they got it. Um, uh, but it's a trick is when you should and when you shouldn't, um, <laughs> yes. which is very hard. And at the beginning, at least in my experience, what we did is very much the, any noise at all. You run up and be like, Oh, yeah. oh my goodness, what can we do? Mm -hmm. uh, and the second one though, was much like, Oh, it'll be fine. And then <laughs> he slept through the night. Like it was good. He's turning out great too. There you go. You guys just yeah. got to stick him in. Is everyone else's zoom things. horrible? It's just mine. Yeah. Zoom's going crazy. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Yeah. Man. Mine's been, okay. mine's been okay. Uh, well, bear with lucky. us if you've had any issues on, on what you've been seeing. Um, do we have time for one more question? I think we do. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Quick one. Cool. From Tom. He says, hello, trainer road. I've been trying to lose some weight, but the idea of keep bringing or the idea you keep bringing up is that the same watt per kilogram being heavier is almost always better. And I totally agree because more watts sounds way cooler than less weight. Eh? <laughs> he says, <laughs> my question, however, would be, how would you go about it? For instance, do you eat more and just hope for the best, like bulking up in the gym, full body or not any other ideas? Thank you from Tom. I'm just giggling because, like, do you just eat more and, and hope for the best? And Alex just started laughing right away and looking up. And I'm just thinking about the the precision mentality versus that statement. <laughs> yeah, like, like I'm just contrast. thinking that. Nate yeah. and I's approach would probably just be Popeyes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a week. <laughs> it's bulking. It's productive. Yeah. Uh, Amber, I just imagine those like bodybuilders with the ice cream. You know, it's like, oh, just bulk it up. That's great. That's it. Right. Um, Amber, you, uh, the episode we did with Ben Jacques Maine would be good for this, yeah, right? Absolutely. I think that's a really good one. And in that episode as a, as a, just a preview, but I really recommend listening to the whole thing because he did exactly this and not 
intentionally, but he did it a little bit by accident. He was coming back from injury and he was concerned about being in really good shape for team camp. So he just went out and trained as hard as he could. And he knew that in order to train as hard as he could day over day, he was going to have to really replenish what he was burning every day. So he, for the first time in his career, let go of, you know, constraining how much he was eating and really just made sure that he was fueling plenty to go out and just ride crazy hard every day, day in, day out, day in, day out. And he got super strong and he was heavier than he'd been as well. But what he found was the robustness of his fitness was at a totally different level. So instead of just, you know, not only was he now the first to the top of the climb, but he didn't have you know, he recovered so much faster after getting to the top of the climb first that he was also able to be really effective on the flats after the fact. So, um, it was, it was a really cool eye-opening experience that he had on accident. And I think that there's a lot of really powerful learnings from that. So I highly recommend listening to that episode because I think it, it, it goes to this point and it talks specifically about how he did that on accident, but you could also try the same thing on purpose. (laughs) It's about training your body and putting your body in the position or training your body to do more work. And to do that, you need to put your body in the best position to be able to do that more work. Mm-hmm. And that is from this perspective, at least making sure that it's adequately nourished. So I think a lot of people, a lot of cyclists would, if they just focus on making sure that they gave their by their body really healthy foods at, at, at high quantities or sufficient quantities of food, I bet that they would see their power go up a lot. And they might see their weight go up, but I bet that in most cases, they'd actually see a power to weight increase. Like it would get better in most cases. Mm -hmm. I've, I've absolutely been the person that's tried to run it too close to the line and like, oh, okay, I'm just stuck at 310, 315 Watts. And that's just my peak. That's what I'll be forever. And really, no, that's not the case. It's just for what I was fueling. That was the limiter. And that was holding me back from being able to improve. But if I, since I've improved my fueling, eating a ton of uh, carbohydrate focused foods that are mostly plant-based and focused on getting a ton of variety and micronutrients and, and whole grains and vegetables and fruit, getting all of that, then your, my power goes up when I adequately feel with that stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I wish that it was easy as just Popeye's lunch, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> it's easy. Trust me. <laughs> Tom, we're in the same mindset here. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you follow Instagram, but uh, triathlon, this does not work with triathlon. This does not work with Cape Epic, but for crits, as Pete being my, uh, Pete and a whole bunch of other NorCal riders, uh, Richard Jones being one of them too, the idea, you can be a great flat crit racer and have higher watts per kilo, and you can also be really good rolling road race, racer, right? It's just, it's hard when it gets to be the really long climbs, 40 minute climb. Uh, especially if it's really steep, that's going to be tougher for you, but you actually probably will win more because you are so you have such, your power is so much higher, mm-hmm. right? So you're more like pol- polarized, uh, in terms of your, how you can express your fitness, which is a good thing. I think rather than being kind of straight down the middle mm-hmm. now, uh, Tom, to do this, you need to be in a caloric surplus to gain weight. And at the same time, you need two things to single your body. One, you need like some kind of resistance training or aerobic training. And two, you need adequate protein. And uh, for protein, this is how I would think about it, is I would shoot for two, uh, uh, 2.0, 2 grams per um, kilogram. kilogram of body weight. Yes, um, that per day. 
And then carbs about, depending on how much you train, maybe six grams per kilogram of carbohydrate. If you're like two hours per day, more, if you're doing a little bit more than that. And then, um, fat, probably one gram per kilogram body weight. Now you have that the whole time and then you need a caloric surplus. So the extra calories can come from it, whatever you want. And I wouldn't really care too much where you get these from, um, like which macronutrient just do what is good for you or what you, what is interesting and what you want to eat. Now, at the same time, I would do weightlifting and I would do, uh, try to let your, get your lower body stuff lined up where it's not immediately before a hard day. I actually like it. If you did a hard workout in the morning and then an evening, like a leg session, that'd be best. And I would do some upper body training. I, I don't need science to back this up, but I see, um, it's like, at least in the amateur ranks, you see people who raise their upper body strength and like their whole body gets stronger and their, their FTP does go up, even though there's no sense in that at all. We're not and, talking in turning into Arnold. Those connected. You're not talking like turning no. into like a bodybuilder upper body strength, right? No, but the, the, the bigger, the bigger riders, they always have some upper body mass too. Um, Pete, you know, being a good example of that. And maybe you can do this crazy thing where you gain it all in your legs and none in your upper body. Um, that's that I don't see that in the amateur ranks very often, mm-hmm. maybe at the cat one level, who's kind of like domestic pro. Um, but it's also kind of fun to be, to have some more upper body strength and it will help probably in sprinting. It helps in mountain biking, uh, long triathlons, a whole bunch of stuff. So that's what I would basically pro, because you want to, in your caloric surplus, you want to put on muscle, right? And you need to have like the most important thing would be to get that protein at two grams per kilogram body weight. Um, more than that isn't really going to help. And less than that, you're probably leaving gains on the table. And another way to think about it is if you just kind of do a, a rule of thumb for protein. Um, so you say, you know, this much chicken is about 20 grams and you kind of keep that in your head all day. You can use whey protein if you're, uh, or like a pea protein, if you're vegan, but if you're vegan, you have to do a little bit more to kind of supplement that. And cause it can be hard to get enough meat or protein. Um, I know you get it through other things too, but the easiest for a, a carnivore is to, or omnivore is to do sure. uh, meat and then some whey protein. And then, yeah, it's, you get your carbs on the bike, you get your recovery shake in, and then you just get to eat a little bit of a treat or something else, uh, in the other parts of the day. And that's probably a good way. I just don't go too fast. If you go too fast, um, it's a lot easier to put on a bunch of, um, body fat, which is then probably not what you're aiming for. Yeah. Alex, this is an interesting question that I wanted to pose to you because in most cases, most of us are FTP constrained. You are not uh, particularly <laughs> FTP constrained. <laughs> so like for me doing this makes sense. Cause I, I, I have room where I can raise my FTP further. Right. Um, this sort of a thing, but for you, uh, do you ever toy around with this? Like, do you ever think like, or do you intentionally put yourself into surpluses to be able to gain more weight to chase better performance? Or is that how you've gotten to where you are? Cause your FTP is ridiculously high. So. Um, yeah, I kind of take a different approach. I don't actively try to put on weight and I've definitely been in the boat probably two years ago now, last time we raced 2019 of trying to ride that line of being super light. Um, and I, I just focused on fueling the work. So I'm sure it's no secret by now. I, I weigh everything. I track my macros and as long as I'm hitting those, I barely weigh myself like anymore. I used to weigh myself every morning and night and maybe sometimes during the day. 
wasn't a healthy relationship with that machine. Um, but for now it's just like, can I hit the numbers? Can I do the workout kind of thing? And like now I have this workout twice a week that I'm burning 3,700 calories in three hours. <laughs> I never would have been able to do that at 65 kilos. So it's just making sure that I have the fuel on board and that I know what I need to execute that workout. So for me, it's not necessarily about trying to hit that 500 calorie surplus, but I mean, in our house, we have a cheat meal probably about once a week, like, and by cheat meal, I mean, just like whatever we want. I, I enjoy food a lot. So trust me, I eat, I eat plenty of foods. <laughs> it's just more just like something where it's like, I've hit my macros for the day, or this will hit my macros for the day in one way or another and go over them and it's fine. So, yeah. um, I've never tried to gain weight. And for Tom, it sounds like he was trying to lose weight. So before going all the way to the other side to try to gain weight, I would try to try to first like fuel the work and hit those workouts and kind of see where you shake out and kind of go from there. Mm. I've taken this year, a different approach for me. It's I'm measuring, I'm not measuring macros at all. Um, I'm just, and, and I, what I do is I check in the first week of every month and I just usually measure for as long throughout that week as I need to, to be able to make sure that I'm still on track basically with, with my portions. Um, but basically all I do is I try to make sure that I just stuff myself full of veggies. And if I bring in as many vegetables as possible and starchy grain or starchy, um, carbs and grains, that sort of stuff. If I bring in that and I'm trying to get as much variety as possible, uh, then I'm almost always in a good place. As long as I'm, I'm making sure that I'm feeling the work I'm doing on the bike too. And I'm actually the leanest I've been this year, uh, that I've ever been, I feel like that I can think of. And that is being done not by, not with more attention to detail and more time on the scale and more time measuring macros. It's less of all of that. Instead, it's focusing on quality of food and making sure I'm feeling the work. If I'm doing that, I'm also doing more work than I ever have just a higher FTP. So it's, it's all going toward me being not only a better athlete, but also I'm just like a, I feel better in general too. I'm not constantly run down. So this is always Absolutely. like a tricky thing on balances and, and where people want to do this, but uh, of all things, uh, make, just make sure you're giving yourself quality whenever you can. And then your body's going to be a lot happier. So yeah. yeah. Amber, mm -hmm. what is your weight gaining plan? <laughs> <laughs> my weight gaining plan is to make a whole new human being <laughs> I know, but they, they, there is like you need a caloric surplus right and i'm guessing you're just going by hunger rather than anything specific yeah i've actually really just been letting my body take the lead on this one um so mm. believe it or not i do take my own advice from time to time <laughs> um yeah so i think after as I want to just say one thing. Um, the calibration thing is important. And what I mean by that is, um, so for example, when I was racing, I thought I had it nailed. I thought I was eating really well. I thought I was feeling well. Um, and then one year I got to be in my bonnet and just said, I want to work with a nutritionist and like really get this dialed in. And the first thing he had me do was hit a protein goal, protein intake goal for the day. Um, that was one of the first changes we made. And I could not believe how little protein I was eating compared to what he thought I needed. And I couldn't believe how much better I felt when I started eating that. And I couldn't believe how hard it was to get from where I was to where he was recommending. 
Um, it was a huge, I mean, it was one change and you would think that's kind of minor, but it required a substantial change in habits and expectation, but it completely changed how I felt on the bike for the better. But the baseline that I'd become accustomed to my, the way that my body was expecting food, um, the way that I felt on the bike and the way that my body was using the fuel that I was, I was taking in was vastly different from where it could be. So, and those changes are really hard to make. So I, I would suggest that, uh, make one small change at a time because even a small change can be really substantial in terms of the effort that goes into building or building a new habit or replacing one. And it's going to take some experimentation. So let's say you want to increase your protein intake. And I know we're kind of hammering on that, but it's an easy example to use. Different protein sources are going to make you feel very different. So like Nate said, there's going to be, you know, constraints if you're a vegetarian, vegan or not. Um, and even within those constraints, figuring out what the protein sources and the timing are that are really going to work well for your body, because this is again, very highly individual. Um, and I would just say that sometimes the signaling that we get is a little bit different. So circling back to what I'm doing now, I really had some time after I stopped racing to allow my body to settle back in and to allow some of those signaling systems to kind of recalibrate and get back online again in a natural way. Cause oftentimes we find ourselves like really trying to override those systems and it can kind of throw them out of whack over time. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm in a really good place personally where I can let my body take the lead and really listen to like what my body's asking for listening, you know, listening, you know, tuning into those satiety cues and, and those hunger cues. Um, it feels really good. Yeah. And I, I don't feel like I'm eating that much more than I no normally do, but I feel really happy and nourished. And that's kind of, that's what, all I'm going for right now. It feels good. That's awesome. I'm so excited. Small, small Amber <laughs> <laughs> on the protein side of things too. Uh, a little thing that I found was the, if you're a coffee drinker and an omnivore, I think for, um, collagen, but mm. putting that in your coffee in the morning is an extra 10 grams. So that helps. Mm. Um, and then like Nate said, the, the thing about, uh, collagen is there's some muscle building scale and it goes between one and I think zero and 10, but collagen ranks as a zero. So mm. collagen should not be included in your protein for muscle, uh, improvements. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. That sounds like something that came from mass probably, huh? It did actually. Yeah. 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 Stronger <laughs> yeah. by science guys. Yeah. Great. And then not back yep. to TT bikes and power. If you, I have this not backed by science theory <laughs> that your CDA is pretty set on a bike, right? Like unless you change your fit. So I don't think your CDA is going to change like for five to 10 pounds, you know, mm. be in your face, maybe your legs. i belly maybe i don't know but you're going to cut through the air all the same so if you as a rider are 65 kilos and doing four watts per kilo or 70 kilos doing four watts per kilo i would argue in most situations or all situations at that point you'd be going faster and it would be everywhere you'd be going faster on the flats anywhere up to a seven percent climb you're going to be going fast faster than the same four watts per kilo and then anything above you'd be at least doing the same mm -hmm. so food yeah. for thought mm -hmm. definitely depends on the type point. of racing you're doing 
Yeah. For Cape Epic, I should just shoot for the moon. <laughs> 200 pounds, 400 watts. There I know go. all the climbs are like, are, are more than 7% though, which is kind of annoying, but I will go so fast in the downhills. What are you going to do uh, about Cape Epic, Nate? That, it's really not that far away. We're in October. And <laughs> John, you're stressing me out, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I've got to bring this up. The people are asking for it. Like, like what are you going to uh, do? What's, what's the plan? Oh, jeez. I don't know. I was pretty, I wish we would have raced. You were fast. I don't know, in January. You dropped me. January, January is the fastest I've ever been. Yeah, that was the fastest I've ever been. If I get back to that speed, and then I need to, I broke my bikes, so I need to get that fixed. I need to start training. That's probably good. I know this is a <laughs> podcast too, because <laughs> during it, I was like, what am I going to ride today? Because I, if, I, if we have the podcast and I want to ride during the podcast, then it's a good podcast. Yeah. Um, I... I don't know. I don't think I'm going to try to go down to 180 pounds. That does not sound like me right now. Right. Um, the best would be maybe do a little bit more use train now, uh, still try to gain some more muscle mass. And then maybe mm, July after maybe after 4th of July, go in earnest, try to hit eight hours per week, but really be diligent. Maybe kind of, yeah, four months <laughs> to do that. But I mean, Sounds super it's because I was <laughs> maybe yeah. kind of. <laughs> and then I want to too, which is it's going to be important to me is to. Uh, I don't want to do all this through sweet spot on the trainer. I want to do some longer rides. Luckily, it's going to be the summer. I would like to do some of those uh, Le Mans loops, John. If you are yes, sir. comfortable going slow with me, yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely, not half wheeling me and talking to me. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of the idea. There's another thing I'm going to call out. I've got to mention this before. I, for the triathlon challenge, I've been thinking about making a, I have a new house, a small pool there. And I want people who to message me with personal experience. If they've owned an endless pool or a swim spot, not if you've just used it once, or you've heard about it, you've owned it for at least a year. What do you think of it? And you're like a triathlete. You're like, you're, you've owned it and you've swimmed in it. So mm. like, what is the, would you buy it again? Pretty much. Would you enthusiastically buy it again? That I is what I want to know. I saw it on YouTube once and I would definitely recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. It looks amazing, right? But yeah, I don't know. they look so happy. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Just swim right there, Nate. Nate uh, I think if you have four months to build, and going full circle back to the beginning of this podcast, you have four months to get back there. You've spent years of having pretty, having very consistent training over the past. What has it been? five, six years now, since you mm -hmm. really took your big break before that, um, when you were focusing on building trainer road and that was the main priority that, that took up everything else. So I, I think that it'll come back faster than, than, or at least, uh, faster than perhaps you fear. Maybe I'll you're just confident in Tahoe, July 12th to August 12th. So training camp, let's go. There Alex go. will be with us. It's It'd be great. It's done. Uh, training camp where zoom is, I can't see anyone right now. Everyone's frozen. <laughs> Are really? really slow. Al oh no. Alex, what training camp's going on? Alex. Uh, I'll be in Tahoe for a month, July 12th to August 12th. There you go. July 12th. Oh, that's the beginning of it. Oh, cool. Bring your downhill bike and we'll ride together <laughs> uh, on the road. Uh, <laughs> what does it put you on the e-bike with no water bottle cage? <laughs> no water bottle. Yeah. There we go. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this episode. And if you have questions for us that you want answered and they can be anything, whether it's a silly rapid fire question, whether it's an in-depth question about uh, solving a problem that you need to get solved to get faster, do so at trainerroadcom slash podcast. You can submit them there. And thanks to everybody that does it all the time. It's so fantastic. You can reach out to all of us hosts on Instagram here and you can see our handles. It's Alex wild, uh, MTB, I believe on, mm -hmm. on Instagram and then Amber Malika, 
tr.nate, myself, Lee Jonathan, and of course, Trainer Road, because that's where you're going to get all the content that makes you faster. Uh, so follow them there and go and sign up for the adaptive training close beta. We're adding people all the time. So you could get added on there. And with that said, we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks everybody. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye. Bye everyone.